Well, good afternoon. Happy Sabbath to you. My name is Joel Nephew, and my wife, honey, if you'll please stand, Karina, we're glad to join you here today. Um, Pastor Silva asked me some time ago, I need to have you come, I need to have you preach. And uh, he said, I want you to preach on stewardship, not because my people are unfaithful stewards, but because we all need some encouragement when it comes to stewardship, amen? Now you may be wondering who I am and why I'm here. In your bulletin, you'll find an insert that looks like this. If you want to pull that out, I'll tell you a little bit about myself and what I do for you, because I, I work for you. I work at the conference office, and I've been there five years. I started... Um, working there as the director of Plan Giving Trust Services. How many of you know what that means? Some do, most don't. Um, that's outlined in here. I'm not going to talk a lot about that, but that's a ministry designed to help you to be a faithful steward. Uh, we help you with wills, power of attorneys, those types of things. If you do not have those in place, there's a card in here you can fill out, give to me on the way out, and we'll make sure we help you with that. But also, I'm in charge of stewardship and men's ministry. Those are the three areas that I am in charge of. My staff, if you open that up, you'll see Pastor Gene Hall and my administrative assistants, uh, Mona Hickman and Jody Murphy. But uh, that will give you a little bit of idea of what we deal with at the conference. And I say we serve you because that's exactly what we do. We are there to serve you, to help you to be faithful in all the different areas that God has called you to be faithful to. But we are glad to be here tell you a little bit about our family and our journey, just so you know where we've come from. I grew up in West Michigan, over by Zealand. Anyone know where Zealand's at? Okay. Um, yeah, I grew up on a dairy farm out in the country. Uh, my wife was born in Romania when she was about eight and a half. They escaped, uh, her folks escaped uh, communist Romania, and they ended up coming to Hinsdale, Illinois. And I'm so glad that her father thought that Cedar Lake was the strictest school that we had at the time, and he sent her to Cedar Lake. I won't get, I'm going to tell you when that was, but you know it was before it was Great Lakes Adventist Academy. And that's where I met her. And I, I persuaded her over a course of time to be my wife. Good thing, huh, Gary? Yeah. And um, the Lord has blessed us through the years. I was working as an electrician um, for a number of years. The Lord called me to be a coal porter, did that for four years, assistant publisher director in upstate New York. And then called me into the pastoral ministry, and we've served in New York, Michigan, Kansas, came back to Michigan, and then they called us to the office. We have two boys, Alex just turned 25 this last week, and Justin's 28 and married, and we uh, were able to add a daughter to our, our family this last year, so that's a blessing. But we feel blessed to have, uh, have the boys, Justin, Alex, and Rachel. But as we go forward here today, Pastor did ask me to speak on stewardship, so that's what I'm going to speak on. Our, our sermon title is Bar Bartering Away Eternity. Bartering Away Eternity. Now, you know, bartering, bartering is trading something for something else that you believe is of equal or greater value. Have you ever bartered something? Some of us have. We, we, we've bartered bees and apples. <laughs> yes. Um, we don't do it so much anymore in this country, but I remember when I was a kid, 
I got in trouble once. Not that I only got in trouble once, but I got in trouble once for this. I, was, I traded a neighbor boy who was a little bit younger than I. I traded him nickels for dimes. Anyone, do, everyone else, anyone else ever do that? See, he thought the, di- the nickels were more of more value because they were bigger. Well, our parents did not think so. And I, I had some, some uh, yeah, any consequences to that. We laugh a little bit, but you know, today, many a professed Christian is doing the very same thing with eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time and this day not to hear a, a mere man speak. We want to hear Jesus speak. So I pray, Lord, that, that I would just be moved out of the way and that the Holy Spirit would, would speak through me today and that we would be moved from our comfort zone into your zone. That we'd be moved from, from selfishness to generosity. And that you would just please help us to completely be the faithful people you want to come for. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Stewardship, it encompasses many things. Money, time, talents, the gospel, relationships, the list goes on because stewardship is life. Everything that, that, that life encompasses, it's stewardship. How we handle all these things that make up this life determines what kind of steward we are, and what kind of steward we are determines our destiny. In the book Councils on Stewardship, which if you have not read that book, I would encourage you to either go online and get it, go on an app or whatever you want to do, go to the ABC, but get the book and read that book this year. I'm so glad as stewardship director that our first quarter of the Sabbath school lesson is dealing with stewardship. But in that book, Councils on Stewardship, we read the following, page 138. The Bible does not condemn the rich man because he is rich. It does not declare the acquisition of wealth to be a sin, nor does it say that money is the root of all evil. On the contrary, the scriptures state that it is God who gives the power to get wealth. And this ability is a precious talent if consecrated to God and employed to advance His cause. The Bible does not condemn genius or art, for these come of the wisdom which God gives. We cannot make our heart purer or holier by clothing the body in sackcloth or depriving the home of all that ministers to comfort, taste, or convenience. The scriptures teach that wealth is a dangerous possession only when placed in competition with the immortal treasure. It is when the earthly and the temporal absorbs the thoughts the affections, the devotions which God claims, that it becomes a snare. Those who are bartering the eternal weight of glory for a little of the glitter and tinsel of earth, the everlasting habitation for a home which can be theirs but only for a few years at best, 
are making an unwise choice. We don't want to make unwise choices now, do we? No. Today we're going to look at a number of characters in Scripture. First of all, we're going to look at, at a few that, that were on the wrong side of wealth, the negative side of wealth. And then we're going to look at some who are on the positive side of wealth and see what we can learn. I hope you brought your Bibles. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 25. We're going to first off, right out of the gate here, take a look at Esau. Genesis chapter 25. You know the story. Isaac and Rebekah, they have twins, Jacob and Esau. Rebekah likes Jacob. Isaac likes Esau. Esau is the one that, that's out in the fields. He's the hunter. He's the one that loves to be outside. Jacob is the one who's more the domestic. He's the homeboy. He's the one who, who, who likes the cooking, who likes to be around that kind of thing. Not that one is better than the other. But we see on this particular day, and I know we could, we could talk about Jacob on this side too, but we're going to look at Esau. Jacob has cooked a pot of lentils. Esau comes in from the field. Remember the story? He's hungry. He's weary. He's been out there. We don't know how long. And he's hungry. And he says to his brother, Man, give me some food. Jacob says, Sure, for your birthright. And it's interesting what it says here. Verse 33, Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day, so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. What was the birthright? Well, the birthright meant what? He got a double portion of everything and that he would be the top dog in the tribe. But more importantly, he would also be the priest of the tribe. He would be the spiritual leader of the family. And Esau despised that. You see, Esau gave it up for immediate gratification. He would rather have the here and now than the later and longer Esau would rather satisfy the desire of the moment than to not deny himself for a later reward. May we learn the lessons of waiting for the later reward and not succumb to the here and now, my friends. Go to Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24 as we look at another character. I must warn you with this sermon today, it's really probably a three to four part sermon don't worry, I'm not going to preach it that way. That's why I'm just touching on these things. I'm hoping that you will take this, go home, and study it for yourself. That's what you should do anyway. Amen? Yeah. But go to Numbers, chapter 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 22, 23, 24. We have the story of Israel. and We have the story of a king, the king of Moab, Balak. Balak sees all of Israel as they're on their journey, on their way to the promised land, and he is nervous. He says, I've got to do something. There's no way that I can, I can overpower these people. So he calls on Balaam. 
Remember the story of Balaam? Balaam was a prophet of God. Balaam had a reputation that what he said would happen because he was a prophet of God, the living God. So Balak sends representatives. Balaam at first says no. Sends him again. We're going to pay you. Pay you lots. Balaam starts to waver. You know the story about the donkey talking. Balaam goes and three times he tries to curse, but three times he blesses. And then he gives Balak the instructions, send the women in. That's, that will get them. I can't seem to say anything else than what God wants me to say when it comes to trying to bless them, I mean curse them. And his plan worked. It's interesting what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. He says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And then Jude says in verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. Balaam, because of his love for personal gain, misused his reputation as a servant of God and ended up a curse to God's people. It's interesting, as you read the biblical account, when you come to Joshua chapter 13, they were looking for him, and they found him, and they killed him. We must be careful as stewards to never let, to never misuse our calling Never misuse our reputation as Christians for personal gain. Go to Joshua. We're going to look at another character here. Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. We find this verse. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. It says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed or the dedicated, devoted, Things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed or the dedicated things. So the anger of the Lord was of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So what is the story? Israel crosses Jordan, they're in the promised land. Their first conquest is going to be. Jericho. God says in verse 19, if you'll look at this, verse 19 of 6, he says, But all the silver and the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the, all the, the loot, the booty of Jericho, was a tithe that was to be returned to the treasury of God. The first fruits. God made it clear, you are to take nothing. It all comes to me. God was trying to instill in them that listen, I am the one that provides for you. I am the one that protects you. I am the one that fights for you. It's not you, it's me. And we see here that Achan, he takes of those dedicated things. Those things that God said are mine, they're not yours, don't touch it, return it to me. Achan takes the tithe. And does not return it to God. He takes what God has said was his 
and puts it with his own stuff. Malachi 3, 8 and 9, you know this. Will a man rob God that you have robbed me? But you say, in which way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you have cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Joshua 7, 11, it says, Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed or dedicated things and have stolen and deceived, and they have put it among their own stuff. Because Achan took the tithe and put it in his own stuff, it cost the life of 36 of his comrades. Because when they went to Ai, remember what happened? 36 men died needlessly. You understand? Why? Because Achan took the dedicated things that were supposed to go to God and he put it among his own stuff. He took the tithe. Oh, God won't mind. It's just a little bit, you see. Compared to everything else, it's just a little bit. No one will know. I mean, I'm putting everything else. I'm helping him haul everything else to the treasury except this little bit. He's given a chance to repent. You know how the story goes. The lots were chosen. God wanted him to repent. He wanted him to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Here it is. But Achan would not. And as the story unfolds in verses 19 through 21, we see, we'll pick it up in 21, as he is confessing after the fact with no repentance involved, he says, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, can you imagine the very thing that is standing as his accuser now, he is still calling beautiful. Oh, that beautiful Babylonian garment. No repentance. When I saw the 200 shekels of silver and the wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And they, there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with this silver under it. It cost them everything because they took him out and stoned him. Friends, it's a bad idea. It's a really bad idea to mix what God has designated as his with what you think is yours. It doesn't come with a blessing. It will always come with a curse. May we be faithful with our tithes. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We see someone else that was on the wrong side of wealth. Ended up on the negative side of it. John chapter 12. The story is Simon's feast. As we know, Jesus cured Simon of leprosy. He holds a feast. This is when, when Lazarus is there and, and Mary comes. And she comes with that spike nard and anoints Jesus. And we see here in verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then John adds something here that the other authors don't. 
he, he tells us, he kind of pulls the curtain back. He says, this he said, not that he cared for the poor. That was a facade, you understand. Not that he cared. Judas didn't care for the poor, John said. But because he was a thief. And he had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. So what was Judas doing? Judas was taking, dipping his hand into that which was supposed to maintain the day-to-day work of Christ's ministry. I would submit to you today that is offerings. Oh, Achan stole the tithe. Judas is stealing the offerings. We read the story and we see in Matthew 26, now because Judas was accustomed to stealing the offerings, it was very easy for him then to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You see, friends, if we're not faithful in tithes and offerings, it's going to be very easy for us to betray Jesus. Because the time is coming very close, very soon. When it may be freedom versus jail. It may be life versus death. And if you are accustomed at this point of robbing the treasury of God in tithes and offerings, you will betray Jesus. Because Jesus is not first in your life. You are. Do you think that that Judas loved Jesus? The Spirit of Prophecy tells us that he did love Jesus. She says, Judas loved Jesus, but he loved money more. I'm afraid that maybe today there are some of us who love Jesus. Sure, that's why you're here. But maybe you love money more. By God's grace, may we not let greed, may we not let greed lead us to betray Jesus. Go to Acts chapter 5. This is the last one we're going to look at on the negative side. Acts chapter 5, you know this story. Spirit comes down, the church is growing. Things are happening. People are being baptized. And we come to chapter 5. Preceding this, we see that people are, are selling properties and they're laying all the money down at the apostles' feet. And Isaac and Sapphira, they say, that sounds like a good idea. You know what? We're going to sell our property. And we're going to give it all to the church. We don't know all the details, but kind of you read between the lines, it sounds like maybe they got more for the property than they thought they'd get. Oh, man, you know, <laughs> Lord blessed us. We got a little more than we thought. Let's just keep the extra for ourselves. They won't know the difference. They, they won't know. We'll just bring it into Peter and lay it at his feet, and, and, and we'll get an attaboy like Barnabas did. So that's what they do. When you read the story, you see 
Ananias comes in. Oh, yeah. Why have you determined to lie against the Holy Spirit? And he falls down dead. A few hours later, his wife comes in. Peter says, did you actually sell the property for this? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Why have you decided to lie? And she falls down dead. You see, when we make a vow to God, God expects us to keep the vow. Go to Ecclesiastes. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he says something here that, that I think we should understand. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, it says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. See, because they made a vow, and they decide not to pay the vow, but only part of the vow, what happened was they turned God's blessing into the curse of death. Oh, that we would keep our vows. and We'd be true to God. You see, all these, because of the love of self and wealth, because of greed and covetousness, they gave up the immortal, the eternal riches of heaven. They bartered them away for a little pile of this world's tinsel and glitter. Now let's quickly look at some people who are on the positive side of wealth. Go to Genesis. We're going to start with Abram. Genesis chapter 12. When God calls Abram out of his country, from his family, from his father's house to land, and I will show you. It's interesting what he says here. Genesis chapter 12, verse it says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now that word blessing there is you shall be liberal, generous. That was part of God's pronouncement on Abraham. Not that just that, that the seed would come through you and all this. No, you, I'm going to make you liberal, not in your doctrine, but with your wealth. I am going to make you generous, God says. See, that's what God wants. He wants his people to be generous. And we see this in Genesis 13. What does he do with Lot? When it comes to the point where, where their flocks and herds are to the point where the, the, the keepers are fighting, we see Abram being generous. He had the right to take it all. Lot, which way do you want to go? We see this again when he goes and he, he beats the, the, the kings that took those people captive from Sodom. It says he gives tithes to Melchizedek. And then it was his right to keep all the loot from the people down to the smallest goat. It was his. But what does he do? He gives it all back. All back. Generosity. We see this again. I think it's chapter 18. When, and he didn't know it at this time, but Jesus and the angels came, and he shows hospitality. He's generous. Oh, that we'd be a blessing. 
as Abraham was a blessing to those around us. In Genesis chapter 28, we're coming back to Jacob. Jacob had his, his issues at the beginning, but when he fled that night for his life, and he had that rock for a pillow, and he has that vision, of the ladder representing Jesus, he wakes up the next morning. And in Genesis chapter 28, what we see there in verse 22, he says this, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. I'll give a tithe on everything you give me, Lord. And we see that Jacob was a generous man as well. Very generous. To the point that his own brother, when he was coming out to kill him on his way back, what does he do? He sends gifts and more gifts and more gifts. And his brother says, after his encounter with the Lord that night, he says, I don't need this stuff. But Jacob says, take it, please take it. Take it. In Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, we see the story of a wee little man, Zacchaeus. He was a cheat, wasn't he? I mean, he was taking advantage of the system and he was making himself wealthy. But he hears of Jesus, Luke chapter 19. He wants to see Jesus. He climbs a sycamore tree. Jesus comes and says what? Come down because I'm, I'm going to go to your house today. And we see through the course of that day a transition, a change, a conversion happens in Zacchaeus' heart. And this is what happens. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false ac accusation, I restore it fourfold. And then Jesus says these words, Today, salvation has come to this house. It's interesting to me that, that Jesus associates salvation with the act of, of stewardship. Let's go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we see a couple more individuals who are generous, who are on the right side of wealth. John chapter 19, verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who was at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And he took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury Two very wealthy men who decide now is the time. And they start investing what they have in the cause of this Christ. We're told that, that Nicodemus died basically penniless and he had put all his wealth into the church. You know, I deal with, with in trust services. Um, it's very interesting to me because I deal with estates and having to, to settle estates and 
And um, it seems like more problems are caused when people leave money to their kids than if they leave everything to the church. I found, I found that it's interesting. Because, you know, when, when, they, when they live a little bit to God and they try to split up the rest between the kids, the kids fight like crazy. When they leave the lion's share, like 80, 90%, they give it to the Lord and they leave their kids 10%, you know what happens? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Generous. Generous toward, towards the Lord's work. We also see in Acts chapter 4, we referred to Barnabas earlier, but we see Barnabas, he's another one of those, that, that he sells what he has, he gives it to the church, they call him the son of encouragement. Let me ask you a question. Are you a son, a daughter of encouragement to your pastor? Are you? Maybe I should have Pastor Silva come up here and I can start. Okay, is, is Gary a son of encouragement to you? You know, he was, he was called a son of encouragement. Why? Because at that time, what did the church need? It needed funding. And here's Barnabas. I'll sell everything I've got and give it. Son of encouragement. But if you read before that, there's a lot of, in verses 32, 33, it wasn't just Barnabas. The church was full of sons and daughters of encouragement at that time. It says they were all doing that. A lot of unnamed sons and daughters of encouragement. What we see in these people is this. They had a very clear, unfogged understanding of why they had what they had. Satan has done a masterful job in our day and age of confusing us as to why we have what we have. I have what I have so that I can retire with the same lifestyle that I'm enjoying today. That's why I have what I have. I have what I have. And you finish it. You see, all of these had the clear understanding of why they had what they had. It was not for self-pleasure. It was not for self-preservation. It was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with clarity and power so that Jesus would return. Is that why we're still here, maybe? Is that why... Over 150 years ago, we've been preaching this, we're still here. We have wonderful GYCs going up, but we're still here. We have powerful preaching, but we're still here. Because we have completely confused the why. We start thinking it's mine. It's for me. It's to preserve my life. It's for my heritage. For my kids. As long as we keep thinking that way, we'll continue to meet here Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath for who knows how long. If we really want to go home, we need to start understanding why we have what we have. It's to be a blessing. It's to be generous. It's to be faithful stewards of what our Master has. 
They saw the needs. They filled them. They returned tithes and offerings. They gave more than expected and beyond reason. Oh, that God's professed people would exhibit such liberality, such faithfulness today. There's two, two groups of people, the selfish and the generous, the greedy and the giving, the covetous and the sharing. The selfish end up losing everything, friends. Just tell you that right now. You're going to lose it. Don't lose eternity with it. The generous, they end up with everything worth having. What kind of person are you? I don't know who your treasurer is, and I don't want the treasurer to identify themselves. But if I was asked Pastor Silva and the treasurer to come up here today, and say, you know what we're going to do today, folks? We're going to do something a little different. We're going to break all the rules, at least here in America. I understand they do this in other, other countries. We're going to start to go down the list. Andy M. What did Andy M. and Laura M., what, what did they give in 2017? Oh, let's go down. Israel and Judy Ramos. If we were to do that today, would you sit there confident in your Lord Jesus that what you've done would stand the test? Or would your head drop and maybe, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom about now. And maybe exit the door in shame because you really haven't been faithful with what God has asked you to be faithful with. What kind of person will you be in 2018? What kind of person will you be? Remember, to be Christ-like is to be faithful and generous. Our scripture reading, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, says there is one who scatters and yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will be watered himself. The world does not teach that, you understand. That is not a worldly philosophy right there. The world says, no, 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 no. You want more? You keep what you have. Even though all nature proclaims different. If you're a farmer, ever been a farmer or a gardener, you know that if you want more tomatoes, you want more green beans, you don't just keep what you Collect the last year, you do what, Gary? You save some seed, but you've got to plant. You've got to sow seed. You've got to get rid of if you want more. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will be not room enough to receive it. You see, the principle of Scripture is you must... Give. We're a conduit. That's all we are. God wants to pour his blessing into our lives so it pours out to others. But the moment you stop up the conduit and say, well, I don't want to give anymore because I want to make sure I have what I have, you know what happens? No more can be poured in. 
I leave you with this. Paul says in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus also says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Oh, friend of mine, do not barter away eternity for some momentary cheap trinket of this earth. Follow our Savior's example, the example of the Godhead. Be generous, give, and then give some more. Help those around you. Be faithful stewards of what Jesus has entrusted you with. And then when he comes you will hear those long, hoped-for words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Remember, 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Do you desire to be a faithful steward of what Jesus has given you? Do you desire to, to, when he comes, to be found faithful? It starts this very second. Be faithful with what he has given you. You may only have two mites in your pocket. That, that may be all you have. Be faithful with it. And when he comes, he'll come for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you call us be faithful stewards, not because you need the money, it's yours. It's because you want us. And you realize that this is a true test of where our hearts really lie. So help us. I pray. Help us to be on the right side, the positive side of wealth. Help us to use what you give us to further the gospel so that you may come all the sooner. In Christ's name, amen.